Let's pray together. Lord, we are so grateful for the truths of the gospel and the truth of what Jesus did on the cross. And that when we surrender our lives to him, Lord, that we are made new. We are adopted into your family. We are your sons and your daughters. Lord, that you equip us and empower us and strengthen us. Lord, that we are no longer slaves to our past or slave to fear, slave to anger, slave to frustration, but God, that we are alive to you. And Lord, as we look at this truth, as we free ourselves from many of the lies that we have, would you work? Lord, we just give permission for your Holy Spirit to start searching our hearts and minds so that we could detect the lies that threaten us and that we could walk in your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I invite you to be seated. We're so glad that you are here. Uh, so glad to welcome those who are watching online. We're grateful for you watching wherever you're from at whatever time that you are watching. Thank you for being here. You know, sometimes people ask me this question. They, they say, do you ever get nervous speaking in front of people? And I have to tell you, every day. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, I, was, I spoke uh, nine times in five days. And every time before I get up, I want to throw up. And I always think I'm not prepared enough. I'm not ready. I should have done more. Uh, the people deserve better. Uh, most weeks I sit there and go, why isn't Sawyer speaking today? Uh, it would be so much easier if he was. And I don't say that because I want notes or letters or kind words. I say that because I think all of us face battles in our mind, that all of us have mental struggles that we face and struggles that say, am I good enough? Uh, struggles with faith and fear. Does God really love me? Am I really a child of God? Has God abandoned me? Maybe it feels like God has abandoned you or left you. And that the battlefield in our lives is really our mind. And if we don't live with victory in the battles of our mind, we're probably going to lose the battles of this world. John Mark Comer, he says, lies of the enemy are often the way that he enslaves people and enslaves societies. And most of us, to be honest, are really one bad thought away from disaster. Right, one bad thought away from a financial disaster, from relational disaster, from uh, a personal destruction. And that what God wants is for us to have victory. He wants us to be able to stand firm. And in order to do that, he has given us a tool, a piece of armor that we want to look at today, a helmet that guards our thinking. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. We've just been sitting in this passage because I think it's so important. Paul here pulls back the curtain between our natural world and our spiritual world. And he reminds us that our physical world here is impacted through the spiritual world. And he wants us to be able to stand firm because he knows that if we lose the spiritual battles, we're going to lose the battles in our physical world. And Paul has taught us here that there are six pieces of armor. We've looked at four already that Paul says we have a belt of truth, that there's truth that we need to live in. We need to live in a truthful society, that there's a breastplate of righteousness, that we have Christ's righteousness that uh, makes us righteous, that we have shoes 
of peace, the, the peace that the gospel brings. We have peace with God and, and the peace of God that we have a shield of faith that quenches every fiery dart. And today and next week, we're going to look at two more pieces. In Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10, Paul says this. He says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, the authorities, the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. And in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming darts of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with perseverance, making supplication for the saints. And Paul here says there's a fifth piece of armor. It's a piece of armor we don't just put on, but we take up. And he says it's the helmet. Now, the Roman army was known in the ancient world as having some of the best helmets of protection. They were pieces of leather that were covered in metal. They had a piece that came down over the forehead. They had two pieces that hung over the cheeks, the side of the soldier's face. They had a piece that went way down past the neck to protect them from someone chopping their head off. Many of the Roman soldiers also had a metal faceplate with just a couple of spots for eyes, nose, mouth, that everything was covered, but just enough to be able to see. And they understood that if you did not protect the head, that the battles would be lost. You were easy victims of the opposing army. And there's a scene in Saving Private Ryan. There's a very bloody scene in the first 20 minutes. It's like war, 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 war. And uh, one of the soldiers gets hit with a bullet in his helmet. And it kind of a little bit of ringing in his ears. He's not sure what kind of damage. And so he takes the helmet off to be able to look at it and see what happened. And just as he takes it off, another bullet hits his skull and he's dead because he removed the protection. And at all times and everywhere, Paul says, make sure you have this helmet because as our mind goes, so our body goes. Right? This honest thoughts, troubling thoughts, lead to disordered emotions, which lead to disabling actions, right? Our thoughts always get our emotions worked up, and often we react more out of our emotions than out of our thinking. And so Satan knows if he can tackle our thinking, get us to believe lies instead of truth, that we will not stand firm in the battles. Now, the helmet did a second thing. Not only did it protect the soldiers, but it gave the Roman soldiers identity of who they were. First of all, sometimes they had plumes, sometimes they had ornaments 
on top, you know, somebody to see with big red feathers or something. They were to show that that was the Roman army. Sometimes the decoration would signify what rank they were or what group that they were with, what uh, they were known for. And so the helmet protected and it gave identity. And Paul says, put on the helmet of salvation. What protects us and what gives us identity as children, sons and daughters of God is our salvation. So he says, you know, a shield of faith, the belt of truth, the helmet is the helmet of salvation. Now the word salvation, so so in Greek, it's the, the word for save, it's a very broad term, right? It just simply means rescued, right? When you're saved from something, you're rescued. You're rescued from drowning. You're rescued from a burning building. You're rescued from financial problems. Uh, you're rescued from slavery, sex trafficking, those types of things. There's rescue. And what salvation is that we are rescued. Now, sometimes we think that, oh, Salvation, it's just like a ticket to heaven. We're rescued from hell and we're going to heaven and that's it. But salvation is more than that. The word sozo was the same word that was used for healing, for being restored. It was for wholeness. It was for having everything. Because often what the enemy does is like, oh, well, you may be rescued. You may be going to heaven, but you're going to have a terrible life here. Or God may love you enough to welcome you into heaven, but he don't like you right now. And we may think, well, I'm saved. I'm saved from a burning building, but I'm going to be homeless and have nothing, and God's just going to leave me there. The Bible says salvation is much more than that, that God gives us access to so much more. And this is what each of the pieces of armor are, really. The armor is the fullness of the salvation that God has given you and I. And so Paul here says that's what protects us. And in scripture, there are a number of different words, sometimes theological terms we don't quite understand that help us understand that. Right? Paul says we're adopted into his family. What is rescue or salvation? We're adopted. We become part of his family, that we're not alone or isolated or orphans or left by ourselves, but that we're sons and daughters. We're part of God's family. We have all the same benefits that Jesus does. That we are reconciled to God. Jesus tells the story of the prodigal son. He tells the story of the son who has a great inheritance coming. His father has so much wealth. But one day the son says to his dad, I want all my wealth. I want all the benefits. I just don't want you. I just don't want you in my life. And the father gives him everything. He wanders off. He squanders it all, has nothing, and he comes back. He thinks, well, maybe if feeding pigs is what I'm going to do, I'd much rather feed animals in my father's house. But what does the prodigal father do? He welcomes him home, puts a ring, a rope, says, no, 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 you're my son. See, sometimes we think, oh, we're rescued. Maybe God's, like, you know, kind of welcomed us in, but, but we're going to be like sitting way outside. God is going to care about other people because he likes them more than he likes us. 
Paul uses the word justification, that we are justified. This is what salvation means, that we uh, have no more penalty to us. Even though we've hurt God, we've stiff-armed God, we've walked away from God, we've rebelled against God, Jesus paid the price for us. And justification is just as if we've never sinned. God does not look at us and go, man, you really messed up, and you should be really glad that I kind of welcome you in. He looks at us, and he sees Jesus, and it's like just as if we'd never sinned, that we're redeemed. The word redemption, it was a marketplace. It was that kind of like you go to the pawn shop, and you pawn something, you give it to them. They give you a bit of money. They'll hold it. Hopefully you can go back and buy it back. You can redeem it back, pay the money back. And that's really what Jesus said. We owe a debt to God because of our sin, a debt that we could never pay, but Jesus paid it. And so Paul says, this is the fullness of our salvation that we're fully adopted into his family. We're completely reconciled. The Father welcomes us as he would welcome Jesus. He looks at us and he doesn't see the shameful past that we have. There's nothing that we owe God. Jesus paid a price. It's not like, God, we owe, we owe, we owe. We owe more. We're fully redeemed. But what does the enemy want? The enemy wants us to think, right? Oh, We may be part of God's family, but we're the black sheep of the family. We're not really forgiven. We're not really reconciled. God's looking at at us to do something more. We often live with these doubts and fears and concerns about what salvation is. Now, how do we come to faith in Christ? How does salvation happen? It comes, the Bible says, through repentance. What's repentance? Repentance is simply a word that means a change of our mind. We change our mind. We change our mind about the direction we're going. I'm walking away from God. The prodigal son changed his mind. Turn back to God. We changed our mind uh, about the fact that we can't earn our salvation ourselves. Jesus did. We change our mind about who Jesus is. Our salvation starts with a change in our mind, and it continues through keeping, surrendering our mind and our thoughts to Jesus. The problem is we change our mind about who Jesus is and we come to faith, but we don't think about regularly surrendering our mind and our thoughts. And so when we come to faith, we're making a commitment, God, I need you to keep renewing our mind and changing my mind about you. Speak the truth to me. So when Paul says, put on the helmet of salvation, this is what he's saying. He's saying, I want you now to identify, right? Identity is a big thing in our culture, right? How do you identify? What do you identify with? If you don't like your identity, try to find a new one. Paul says, here's your identity. If you want to stand firm in life, your identity is who you are in Christ, that you're adopted, you're justified, you're redeemed, you're forgiven, you're restored, And to see life through that. And that's our identity. And Paul says, put on the helmet of salvation so you approach your life that way. That's your identity. Because sometimes we think, oh, I'm terrible. I'm a failure. I'm a mistake. I'm not good enough. I've I've messed up too much. I've used up God's forgiveness way too much. Paul says, you're never going to stand when that's your thinking. It's put on the helmet of salvation. 
what is true about you, and that's what protects us. And it protects us against the lies of the enemy, particularly in our changing circumstances. What are the things that get you to doubt or question God? Right? When are the times that you struggle maybe with God's love or God's purposes the most? It's when you're in challenging and difficult circumstances. Because what the enemy wants us to do is to evaluate God through our circumstances, not evaluate our circumstances through our salvation. And this is part of the enemy's playbook. We've talked about the fact that the, uh, Satan has these strategies. This is what Paul says. They're the same strategies that he's always used. The enemy is not very creative at all. In fact, he gets to Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. And what are the circumstances? God says, Adam, you're made in my image. God says, I want to provide you with everything. He gives him this whole garden, all these trees that you can eat. God walks down in the cool of the evening. God says, I'm going to be with you. I love you enough. I'm going to spend time with you. There's just one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Don't, don't touch that. But I have everything. So what does Satan do? Satan comes and says, hey, don't look at your circumstances based through the fact that you have a loving God who walks with you. You're made in his image. You look at your circumstances and look at the fact that you can't have one tree because God knows about that one tree. He knows what will happen if you eat of that one tree. And he's trying to keep that one tree from you. And here's the problem. Our minds are created in such a way that when we don't know something, our mind tries to fill in the gaps. So Satan wants us to fill in the gaps with our circumstances instead of filling in the gaps with what we know is true about God. And so Adam and Eve go, oh, that's right. Look at our circumstances. That God is keeping something from us, so didn't eat, or so ate of the tree, and everything fell apart. Satan tries to do the same thing with Jesus. The first record of Jesus beginning his ministry, he's at the Jordan River. He's being baptized by John the Baptist. He comes up out of the water, and the Father speaks. The heavens open, a dove like the Holy Spirit descends, and the Father says what? This is my Son, whom I love and whom I'm well pleased. In that one phrase, the Father says, Jesus, this is your uh, identity. You're my child. This is your security. I fully love you. This is your significance. I'm well pleased in what you do. And Jesus takes those words and the Holy Spirit leads him immediately, says, right after into the wilderness where he's tempted for 40 days. He fasts and prays, doesn't eat. And after 40 days, the enemy comes and starts tempting Jesus and, and says what? Oh, if you are the son of God, turn these stones into bread. What's the enemy doing? The enemy is saying, don't look at your circumstances through your identity. Look at your identity through your circumstances. Because what the enemy does is say, is this any way for the father to treat his son? Is this any way for the son of God to live, to have to fast, to have cracked lips and gaunt cheeks? Is this any way for God to be able to do that? 
And so what does Satan do? He says, Jesus, why don't you look at your circumstances? Because your identity, your circumstances don't match your identity, which is what he does with us. Oh, you're a child of God. You're a son. Look at your circumstances. But what does Jesus say? Jesus says, no, no, no. We live not by bread, but what? By every word that comes from God. What was the word of God? You are my beloved son in whom I love and am well placed. And Jesus said, I'm not going to look at my circumstances and decide who I am through them. I'm going to look at what scripture says. And friends, if there's something our culture and we need is to know our identity and who Jesus is. The identity of what is true about us. That the Apostle Paul writes a number of things that are true about God. John 1.12 says this, what we just sang, that I am a child of God. I'm a child of His. Romans 5.1 says that I have peace with God. You don't have to wrestle with God. Oh, I don't know if God loves me. God and I seem to be off. Wait a minute. You have peace with God. Romans 5.11, that we have been reconciled to God. We're like the prodigal. You feel like the prodigal and someone's like, well, I'm still the pro- I'm standing out at the gate. I don't know if the father loves me or the father kind of welcomes me, but I'm still in the pig pen. No, 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 no. You've been reconciled. Colossians 1.14 says we've been completely, absolutely forgiven. Jeremiah 31.3 says I am tenderly loved by God. 1 Corinthians 2.16, I have the mind of Christ. Colossians 2.10, I am complete in Christ. I'm complete in Him. The problem is the enemy makes us look at our circumstances. And instead of believing what is true, we begin to believe some of the lies. We look at our circumstances and we don't look at it with the helmet of salvation. We look at it with the helmet of our circumstances and we think, oh, look what's happening to me. God may have to love me, but I don't think he likes me right now. I don't think he does that. We look at our circumstances and and we don't say, oh, I'm a child of God. We say, oh, God must be really angry with me. Or we look at our circumstances, things that happen, and say, oh, I must have messed up. God, possibly he's not forgiven me. Look at what happens. This is punishment. I'm not forgiven. Or we pray to God, and it seems like things aren't changing. We're like, oh, God doesn't listen to me. Sometimes people come and they say, oh, Pastor Taylor, can you pray? Because God listens to you. Tell him, trust me, he listens to me as much as he listens to you. He doesn't listen to me more. Or we look at our circumstances, says, God has abandoned me. He's left me. So in the uh, Bible rack in front of you, I think tucked into the Bible, there's a blank sheet of paper. And so we're just going to do something that we're going to take a break and then uh, going to come back and finish the message. But we want to give you some time just to reflect and meditate on what are the lies that you believe? What are lies that may be holding you captive? What are lies about God? Lies about ourself? Maybe lies we feel about others that are holding you captive. Ask the Holy Spirit to search. And write those on that piece of paper. We're going to do something later. We just really believe it was so powerful in the first service. Just people who really felt freed from their lives. Holy Spirit, would you search our hearts? Would you show us what those lies are? Lord, would you show us just what are the things that we 
really deeply believe that our lives, we didn't even realize were there, but they are guiding, controlling principles in our life. Good Lord, we want to see freedom. So I encourage you to write those down. If those of you who are watching at home, please grab a piece of paper or write them down. We want to do something with those in a minute to be free from them. But just as the worship team sings, ask the Holy Spirit reveal what lies are distorting your thinking.
something that you know it's not a question mark did his wounds pay it but a period he paid it my debt's been paid see the enemy is so subtle Paul says this is a battle and often the battle takes place in the mind and it's a battle because Paul here tells us about the armor that we get to wear we forget that Satan has a reciprocal armor. He doesn't have a belt of truth. He's got a belt of deceit. He doesn't have a breastplate of righteousness. He has a breastplate of temptation. He doesn't have shoes of peace. He has shoes of confusion and anger. He doesn't have a shield of faith. He pummels us with a shield of doubt. He doesn't have a helmet of salvation. He's got a helmet of rejection. Oh, God couldn't love you. But Paul says, if we want to stand firm, we don't put on a helmet of our circumstances, we put a helmet of salvation. And so how do we deal with those lies? Right? How do we conquer them and deal with them? And today we want it to be like very practical, not just, oh, here's a piece of art. How do we put this on? What does it mean to do that? And Paul in Corinthians writes this about how we deal with our armor. In 2 Corinthians 10, he talks about the spiritual battles. And he says in verse 4, he says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, right? We can't battle in our mind just with our own ability. He says, But we have divine godly power to destroy strongholds, and we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take every thought captive to make it obey Jesus. So Paul says, what do you do when you've got a lie? He says, and sometimes those lies become strongholds. What's a stronghold? A stronghold is a place where the enemy seems to have victory, right? If you're in a war, a stronghold is a place you can't seem to defeat or conquer. The enemy is kind of settled in there. And you and I, there's strongholds in our mind because there's lies that we believe that have become patterns for us. That's basically what a stronghold is. It's, it's a lie that we believe that really keeps us from living for God. Sometimes they start innocently. Sometimes it's, you know, your parents said, oh, you're a mistake. You know, we didn't plan. You're a mistake. And so what do we think? Oh, we begin to think we're unwanted. And the enemy thinks, oh, you're unwanted. You don't fit in. Nobody ever going to want you. God doesn't want you. And we live our life very guarded because we don't think we're wanted. Or maybe you experienced a lot of abandonment or rejection maybe as a child or even as an adult, and seeing that people left you or abandoned you or weren't there for you. And so there's a stronghold that develops. We think, well, I can't get close to people because they may abandon me. I can't get close to God because everybody else has left me. God's going to leave me. 
Sometimes a, a stronghold is that we think, oh, we can do things ourselves. Like we've been able sometimes to accomplish a lot on my own. And the stronghold is I've got to do it. I can't trust anybody. I can't rely on anybody. I certainly can't trust God. Uh, the stronghold is I have to do it. And we can't surrender to God. And so Paul says, what do you do? We have the ability to do that. And he says, what we do is we have to take every thought captive. And when we come to Jesus, we change our mind about him, right? We think about our mind. We think about Jesus. The problem is we don't surrender our thinking to him every day. Paul says, what are the lies? Think about the lies. Surrender your thinking. Are you thinking about the truth or is that a lie? And then he says we have to take it captive and surrender it to Jesus. We have to give the lie to Jesus for the truth. And how do you do that? Right? You take your thought, you evaluate, is that of God or not? Is that true or not? If it's true, then keep on thinking it. If that's a lie, then we have to take it captive because the lie holds us captive. Paul says you got to turn the tables on your thoughts. That sometimes our deceptive, lying thinking, right, is controlling our emotions, giving us debilitating emotions, and, and changing our course of action. You have to take it captive and surrender it at the foot of Jesus. And how do you do that? It's like, well, I hate Mondays, right? Sometimes that we say, I hate Mondays. Is that the truth? Right? Sometimes it frustrates us. Ah, oh, it's so hard to get up on Monday. The truth is, Monday is the day the Lord hath made. And I'm going to rejoice and be glad in it. Or sometimes we think, oh, I'm just not enough. Right? I'll never be enough. I don't have enough to give people. The truth is, right, Christ in us is the hope of glory. Christ in us is more than enough. Or we think, I need more, I need more, i got to have more, I need more to feel secure. It's, no, we have everything we need for life and godliness in Christ. We don't look at our situation and our life through our circumstances, but through who we are. So how do we do that? Three just simple words, and we're going to practice this in a moment. We announce, we renounce, and we pronounce. We announce, we say, okay, what are the lies? We're honest. This is what you just did, right? What are the lies that are holding me back? What are those lies? And Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. And what's the lie that's keeping you from being free? And so we have to announce, we have to confess it. We have to be honest about it. And then we have to renounce the power that it has over us. Realize we've been living under the power of those lies. That our life places have become strongholds of doubt or fear because we've been living a lie. We've been seeing our life and our identity through our circumstances, not through what Jesus has done for us. And so we confess not only the lie, but we confess and renounce the power that we no longer want to be guided by that. And then we pronounce the truth. See, sometimes what we do is like, oh, that's a lie. We renounce it. We have to, though, keep pronouncing and telling the truth again and again and again to us. We have to refill our mind. We have to keep surrendering our mind 
to the truth. And Jesus tells a story about a woman who swept her house clean of a number of uh, of demonic spirits and, and said, they got to get out. I want to free my life from the deception, the lies, and the evil. But that's all she did. And because she had an empty house, they came back threefold, morefold. And Jesus said, you have to fill the house with good things. You have to fill your mind. You have to keep telling yourself the truth. And this is the hard part. We have to keep renouncing the power the lie has and keep pronouncing the truth of God in our life. So if you haven't written a lie, I encourage you to just think, what is that? What is the debilitating thing? Because in a moment, we're just going to do something. We're going to announce, renounce, and pronounce is that there are a couple of our prayer partners down front. There's someone up, prayer partners up in the balcony. They're listening online. You can do this online. And we want you to come and take that lie and put it in the, the wastebasket on the table down front. And, and just in doing that, you've announced that here's a lie that has control. We're going to throw it in that basket. And remember, every time that lie comes up, say, no, wait a minute. I threw it in that basket. It's gone. It's not of me. And then they have, uh, the prayer partners have business cards that have a truth about God and a truth about us from God's word. And take that and keep repeating the truth and repeating the truth and repeating the truth. And for those watching online on our web page, there's a link there on the front page that says truths to meditate on. Go and click on that. And maybe if you're at home, you want to rip it up. Maybe you want to come, you want to rip it up and throw the piece of paper in the basket. You do what you want to renounce the power of that over you. So Lord, we just pray for freedom. Lord, many of us feel stuck in the battles. We feel that we're losing battles. We feel that it's two steps forward and three steps backwards because these lies capture us and debilitate us. Today, Jesus, would this be a day of freedom? Would this be a day that we change our minds, surrender our thinking, walk in the truth? Would you be able to come and do that? We pray this in Jesus' name. So I invite you to stand. And we've got lots of time. Last service, people just rushed down. We've got lots of time. Bring as we sing, but bring that lie. Announce the pronouns and confess it doesn't have power over you. And let someone from our prayer team give you the truth about who we are in Jesus. Let's set ourselves free.